The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report Finance Presenter on the ABC News and a columnist for the New Daily. And I'm James Thompson, Senior Chanticleer Columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are The, the Money, Money cafe, cafe, in the Money Cafe, in the cafe. Yeah, back in the cafe. Back in the cafe in a freezing Melbourne morning. Yes. We're now, uh, Alan, I am fully recovered from COVID, so I'm, good to, I'm glad to be back in the cafe. Uh, waiting patiently for my hot chocolate to arrive. But I, I wondered how your wait for your avatar. You were talking last week about how some guy in an ASX-listed company in Israel was going to knock up an avatar of Alan Kohler that could replace you on the news. How, did, did it come through? Well, it kind of did, yeah. I mean, I, I wrote this guy an email saying I was doing an ABC thing on AI and could he come up with an avatar of me to start the, um, to start the program with? And he... Uh, my email went into his spam folder, oh. so he didn't see it. So, nice. But anyway, he got there eventually and he did uh, send me a link to an avatar yeah. that he created on the weekend. Um, but it was based on a uh, picture of me he picked up on the internet and it wasn't <laughs> – and he didn't have a recording of my voice, which he could have got off Money Cafe, I must say, but anyway. <laughs> but he didn't have that, um, so it didn't sound like me and it was a picture of me with the lips moving. Right. So I don't call that an avatar and I don't think that that's what's going to... Sweep the world. <laughs> sweep the world or get rid of uh, call centres. D- did you get the sense, though, that had the bloke had a bit more time and, you know, y- you could see where it would go, he'd be able to knock something... About- that was certainly his assertion. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I've got no idea, really. I mean, oh. if, if, that's, if that's the best they can do, there's no business. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it was... It was yeah, it was okay, but we've got a bit of clanking going on behind us. <laughs> yeah. what's, what's happening? You can see it, I can't. Oh, just some patrons at the cafe. Oh, I see. Right. The, the, you know, we're in, we, we are at, at Oh, Le, I see. We right, are, I we are at Leclerc's uh, um, pleasure here. Uh, yeah, well, look, it, 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 was okay. it was okay. It was okay. But um, anyway, it was uh, – I'll keep in touch. Maybe you can do it again. Next time I do something on AI, I'll, I'll might get it, see, see if I can get them to do a proper one. Well, it's not going away, so you'll have a bit of time. But um, on a more serious matters, uh, you seem to have had an interesting chat yesterday with Dion Hirschen of Yarra Capital. Yeah. And I really was interested in his uh, statement that um, 70% of the profits – on the ASX 200 are coming from four companies. Well, this is 70% of the industrials. Oh, sorry. So, so 70% the, of the industrials. But the industrials make up of almost 40% of the market. So not, not resources and banks. Not resources and banks. But, but yeah, four companies are making up um, uh, so 70%. So it's zero, zero. CSL... Uh, Transurban. Transurban. And, and Next DC. The Next DC, which I was surprised to see yeah. Next DC in there. Data, the data centre company. Does so this mean we should buy those four? I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, I guess what it means, Dion's point was uh, the rest of the market's not exactly pulling their weight. Um, and so the, 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 the narrowness of the market, which we've been talking a lot about with the US, you know, there's only a couple of stocks driving the market. That's definitely happening in Australia too. 
So that's sort of a interesting phenomenon. Yeah, well, in the US, it's big tech, right? It's big tech. In yeah. Australia, it's a bit all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I guess CSL's vaguely tech, Zero's tech, Next DC's tech. tech. So there maybe there's oh, a yeah, little no, bit you're of right. A, that's right. Transurban, a thing. Transurban is not tech, but they use tech. <laughs> I guess <Technically>. so. <laughs> like everyone, yes. Yeah, like um, everyone. So the other interesting thing he said was, and it goes to the point that you know. The economy is very uneven at the moment, which sort of makes sense. Um, if you look at the consumer confidence data out this week, uh, the rankings, people who own their home outright were 20% more confident than people who got a mortgage, which makes sense, right? Because you're not copying sure. the mortgage payments. But his point was what we will end up getting is localised recessions. And they might be in a geography, or, you know, an area of Australia. They might be in a sort of group of people like first home buyers who bought in the pandemic or they might be in a sector and and probably we're in one in building and construction at the moment and maybe retail's headed for one depending on who you ask so i thought this was a good idea a nice way to think of it that the aggregate the 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 on, on the surface the market looks pretty calm 25 days in a row that we haven't had a movement bigger than one percent on the asx 200 and it's pretty similar on wall street too i think they had uh, thursday on wednesday night they had their first move over uh, in five weeks over one percent but that calm the aggregate the whole market doesn't speak to what's happening underneath the surface and there's parts of the economy going really well and parts that are going pretty terribly and so now dion's an active fund manager so he would say this buying the index might not be so helpful because you're getting this aggregate picture where you need to be selecting stocks very carefully. Yeah, um, every every fund manager I talk to these days says, says that. that it's yes. all about the stock pickers market. Yes, now. and and it's and, a stock pickers market, and we are the stock pickers that you need. So, but I, but there's logic to it. That's for sure. Oh and, yeah, no, and, I I think that's right. And um, and um, now it, it's, the other point he made was that it's not all negative. There's four sort of big forces that are positive: migration. Uh, inbound tourism, inbound education, and the resources sector, uh, where earnings are still 30% above pre-COVID levels, even though demands come off a bit. So those things are going are on the other side of the scales. And again, that just goes to the unevenness. Some sectors will do well out of those forces, and others will just miss them completely. You also had an interesting piece about um, office Yes. Vacancies. Yes, I've had some feedback well, uh, from the office sector. <laughs> oh, have you? They, yeah. They're complaining, are they? Not so happy, yeah. Really? Well, I think they think... It looked like what you wrote was pretty pretty right. I, I, don't, I don't really... I, I think they, they're they feeling like... That fear or favour, James. <laughs> oh, no, no. I think the office sector's feeling that the US office sector's in grim shape and, but the Australian office sector is in not so grim shape. Yeah, but you, what did you say the um, the vacancy rate was? It's it's higher than normal, right? Yeah, it's it's above. It's it's I think it's fourteen percent in Sydney and uh, sorry, yeah, about fourteen percent in Sydney and Melbourne. It, it, at the, but just but after the, the GFC, you, it was ten. You seem to be saying that it's not just because of people working from no, home. No, not at all. I mean, there's too much supply, and yeah. and, and there's another three point two percent of supply coming on in the next two years, so. Even if you take out the work from home thing, you've got more supply coming on. You should get, we're likely to get, the RBA needs us to get more unemployment. Those supply and demand, you know, Morgan Stanley says that every 1% rise in the unemployment rate is a 5 to 10% move down in the vacancy rate of office property in Sydney. 
<laughs> so even if even if we all went back to the office today, the supply and demand dynamics aren't favourable. They're not, not in their favour. And at the same time, interest rates going up, so their cap rates are rising. Well, yeah. Which is yeah. lowering their valuation. So well, a combination it hasn't yet, of, but it should. A, co- a combination of vacancy rates and... Uh, rising vacancy rates and rising cap rates means bad things for uh, for yeah. commercial property, right? And this isn't any surprise to the market. If you look at Dexas or Centuria Office Rate, they're trading at a thirty-five to forty percent discount to what their what the assets are worth on the books. So investors are saying, you know, we 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 don't like this situation, but maybe that's too sharp a discount. Maybe that's too big a discount because. Mm. The property sales we're seeing suggest that the discount in valuations should be more like 5 to 20%. So let's see. I had a piece this morning in the New Daily in which I um, was just reflecting fondly on the time when we had some certainty about interest rates that the Reserve Bank said, we're not going to change them for three years. <laughs> yes. And uh, which, of, of course, turned out to be an illusion. But, um, but now we're all over the place. The Reserve Bank's not saying anything, really. Uh, two of the big banks are saying uh, uh, there'll be a rate hike either July or August. Yep. Um, and two of the big banks are saying uh, that's it, no more rate hikes. The market is uh, actually moving a bit at the moment. They're about they're about a fifty percent. The market's about a fifty percent chance of a hike in fifty um, percent chance of a hike in July, August, September. Right. Okay. Uh, yep. From my reading of the market forecasts, uh, but then cuts after that. Yeah. Um, but they were, like, uh, even a week ago, I think the market was saying zero, in, more, no more rate hikes. Hmm. We're at the peak, 385. Well, yeah, the RBA's not saying anything, but we did see that those RBA documents released under FOI, Freedom of What a of fiasco that was. That was fascinating, I mean, wasn't it? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, FOI, crikey, they, they're <laughs> releasing internal memos under FOI with no explanation or context well, that's with no, and no author on the email. So what are we supposed to make of those? Well, like what the market's made of it is that the RBA's got higher rates in their mind. Yeah, I know, but yeah, that's right. I, <laughs> I mean, whether well, that's right or not, that, that's what the market's made of it. Well, it was just a scenario, like yeah. a 4.8% cash rate yeah. was a scenario written by an anonymous person. And you'd hope they're looking at different scenarios. In, a, in an email that wasn't meant to be released. Yeah. I mean, true. you know, really. True. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that's kind of an interesting yeah. fact that that's out there. And I w- I've been wondering whether um, the Reserve Bank was deliberately flying a kite don't know. I mean... Well, someone asked do, do for they Someone have requested the documents. Yeah, I know, but do they have to release them? Can't yes. they say, this is the Reserve Bank and this is macroeconomic <laughs> policy? I don't think so. Can't I they think, say, no, I we're not FOI giving them to under FOI laws, they need to release them. Well, I think that's ridiculous. Oh, okay. I mean... <laughs> I'm not sure what to say to that. FOI no. laws are pretty important to oh, the media yes, sector. No, but but there are cases like for, for national defence or national yeah, security, sure. they can't release... They don't have to release... Documents under FOI, right? So, for national macroeconomic policy, right? Do they have to release an internal memo that disagrees with the statements of the governor of the Reserve Bank, for example? I mean, uh, that is crazy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think unhelpful is what you mean. Well, yeah. I mean, surely they could argue to the FOI. Who bars, whoever they might be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we shouldn't have to do this. 
Yeah. But but we did see the minutes on Tuesday, Alan, and I I thought they were pretty hawkish. Like they the, were, the, yeah, that's right. They so, were, exactly. So, I mean... No, so this is right. The, the, the accumulation internal, of evidence. The internal memos were <laughs> even more hawkish. Yeah. So, what, maybe they're trying to push us towards thinking that they're going to be doing stuff and they actually wanted that stuff to go out there, yeah. is what I'm saying. Well, maybe they did. I mean, and they're saying... And the other part of the uh, those memos was that there's... Uh, up to an eighty percent chance of a recession. Yes, yes. Well, well crikey, that's a big chance. <laughs> I mean, but that was if we get to four point eight, right? No, 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 that was not. That right, was based okay. on where we are now. That was based using the the RBA's model. It's called the Martin M A R M A R T I N model of the Australian economy. Uh, there was no thought that, that there were two separate memos. Yes, right? okay, one was four point eight percent. Another one was we've modelled, we've used the RBA model, and we've come up with eighty percent possibility of recession. Right. Yep. So that would suggest the RBA thinks they can't get inflation down without a recession. Right. Yeah. And that yeah. that is what a lot of people think. Yeah. Well, a lot of a few economists think. So look, I'm I'm wondering whether the RBA actually meant that to go out there. I mean, I, yeah. I don't okay. Know. I thought it was really interesting in the minutes that the RBA is getting worried or, or is is has in its mind house prices. Yeah. The fact that house prices have stabilised is not that would not have been in their uh, that would not have been their preferred sort of occurrence. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. The house prices are going up again, and, and 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 that is that is a worry to them when you combine house prices going up. On one side, and rents just surging on the other side, you can see that this migration uh, surge that business is largely celebrating is going to be a headache for the RBA, and that headache is going to come mainly through housing, because house prices go up, people feel they can spend more. Do you think we could have a recession with house prices rising? I hadn't thought of that. Yes, I, or, or at least stable. I don't know. We're going to have localized recessions, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because um, yeah. the question, the other like thing that. that came up in those internal emails is what's the definition of recession? Because they talked a lot about what's called the SAM recession, yeah. S-A-H-M yep. recession, which was named after or invented by a woman called Claudia Sam in the US. She's an economist. Mm-hmm. And um, her proposal to define a recession is that uh, unemployment has increased by three quarters of a percentage point yep. from the minimum in the past 12 months. So that's the kind of, that's so, the way she's proposing it. And they're saying, and they, they kept talking about the Sam recession as being the way to do it. Um, I mean, I think that's fair enough because... That's what they need. They need a Sam recession. Well, exactly. Because, uh, and, and <laughs> they're talking about increasing the unemployment rate to four and a half percent, which is... Uh, what they reckon they need to get inflation down. We're at three and a half now. We're at three and a half now. So 1% increase in unemployment is a SAM recession. Yeah. Uh, as defined. It's probably no way we're going to get a GDP recession of two quarters of negative GDP because we've got 400,000 people coming into yep. the country. Yep. There's no way we could have GDP go down, but we could have G- per capita GDP go down. Yeah, well, we and had that happening. Eh? We had that happening before the GFC, right? Well, it's been flat. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But so the Treasury is actually in the budget papers forecasting a per capita recession. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It's all over the place, well, right? But dare I suggest 
this, this does make the definition of recession a little bit meaningless. Well, certainly the two quarters thing is meaningless. Yeah, but right. even a Assam recession, like if we had, if we went from 3.5% to 4.25%, that would be the definition of a Assam recession. To your point, you could still envisage house prices rising. That's still very full employment. You, you wouldn't yeah. see, you, you know, you, you probably wouldn't see consumption go backwards particularly if migration's stoking things up. So, so, so yeah, and so it gets to Dion Hirschen's point about localised recessions. Yeah. You have recessions in certain parts of the economy, not just ge- geographic, but certain groups or yeah. You know, yeah. certain definitions. Yeah. Just before we move on to questions, um, I saw the Australian reported this morning or said this morning that uh, Biden cancelling his trip to Australia uh, was a debacle, a diplomatic debacle. The, the, the Finn said a similar thing, yeah. yeah. So is that right? I mean, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it was the Finn that said it. but It might be the Finn. I think we did go with that. Uh, um, yeah. Is, is that right? Is it a debacle? Christ, is I, I think the, the, he's allowed the, not to come, isn't he? No, yeah. The argument was that sort of this would open the door. The, you know, chi- the, the, the unified front against China would be weakened, I think is the, is the view. Debacle might be pretty full on, um, given they're going to meet up in Japan and have a beer on the sidelines of the G7 conference. I mean, right. I, I, I always wonder what they would have talked about at the quad. They get in the room and go, "All right, you know, let, 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 we, you know, we, we, we love I mean, each other. other is, We're friends." The, the other Let's go point about and this, have a photo. The other point about this is that he, he must think uh, that. Given the consequences of cancelling the trip, right, yes. in relation to the yes. China and all that stuff, yes, he must think the prospects of uh, of defaulting are pretty high. There's a he must think there's a serious problem oh, that he oh, has yeah. to stick around to fix. Well, there is. Well, there is a serious problem. I mean, the consequences would be. Yeah, no. So, but he's got to stick around. And he's got to apparently talk to keep talking to Kevin McCarthy all the yeah, time. Yeah, well, I think that's right. Who's the? They, they've got to get this thing done. Speaker I mean, of the House. Yeah, they they, they do need to get a deal. I mean, everyone's talking like they will, which is good, but I think the pressure was coming, the optics of Biden going to both being away for eight of the 16 days leading into the sort of end of the month were not great. No. So he he pulled the pin. It's hard to imagine them defaulting, isn't it? Oh, it's hugely difficult. I mean, I thought Jamie Dimon was talking on this, the CEO of JP Morgan the other day, and he was saying, you know, we've got a war room set up and at the moment we're meeting once a week just to discuss the consequences and what would happen. But as we get closer to this stupid thing, it'll be once a day and then it'll be three times a day and then we will be permanently trying to figure out what would happen to our clients. And he was, you know, fully expecting it to be resolved, but you can't not do that work. But the, the thing is a lot of Republicans seem to be saying, let's default so yeah, I there seems know. to be I a bit know. of a push in the Republicans, not just to push it to the edge, but to actually go over the edge. Yeah, well, Donald Trump said it didn't matter. He, he would default. That's right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. and, and, but there's a few people in, the, in that camp who, uh, uh, as well. I mean, I think that's the thing for me. I don't think it'll happen. But when you think of how US politics has deteriorated since 2013, you just can't rule it out. <laughs> so... That's, I, I think that's, that, that's, that's the thing that's interesting. Carolyn says, uh, last week you had a question regarding whether there are any super funds with a cap on their admin fees. You said there, you weren't sure or weren't aware of any. Uh, f- uh, actually, she says, a few of the industry funds have a fee cap. Rest super, admin fee capped at 3 to 78 per year. Australian super capped at 402. Mm. 
My question is, is it worth paying for an SMSF if, if all you want to do is track an index? Yeah, of course not. Yep. No, no. Don't. No, no. Absolutely. Only pay for an SMSF if you want to do something fancy, like invest yourself or put some sticks and property in. I mean, yeah. if you're just going to track the index, forget about it. Yes. I mean, my, my thought with an SMSF is it's always has always been it is a serious commitment, and if you're not up for it, you don't, yeah, have, yeah. To, you don't have to do it. No, you do not. <laughs> Glenn says... Uh, uh, by the way, Carolyn... General advice only. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well said. Uh, Glenn says, love the show and some of your alternate viewpoints, not just educational, but entertaining too. Please call me stupid. I have a simple brain. How can it be that if you remove investor demand, you don't call the housing market? By removing some of the infinite negative gearing and tax breaks on existing housing, it must call the market, right? I live in an established suburb with big houses and blocks comparatively, and I hate to see these beautiful big homes go from for sale to for lease. They should be purchased by families who want to live in them for years. We certainly need investors in the market, but should they be only limited to new housing and apartments? Yeah, of course. I mean, this is just my opinion, man, as the big Lebowski would say, but, but really, of course, negative gearing should be confined to new homes to boost supply. That's what the Labor Party proposed in 2019. It was knocked back, but, but uh, well, they were knocked back. We don't know whether that was knocked back specifically yeah. because they just lost the election. Yes. Uh, and it might have been franking that was knocked back or whatever, one of the other things they proposed. But anyway, th- look, that's my opinion. Of course, negative gearing shouldn't be available for existing homes. They lost the election and all interest in changing negative gearing policy. Well, they did, though. I know. Uh, interesting, Sue, Sue Lloyd Hurwitz, who was the former CEO of Mervac, is now in charge of the government's housing fund, and she's saying this, we need to change the tax rules around this we, we, we just got to get on with it. So yeah. not sure whether it'll work. But the chorus, even from within the housing sector, is loud. Ben says, it doesn't matter what the borrowing is being used for. Borrowing to expand production should reduce inflation. Borrowing by consumers to buy things increases inflation. Increases inflation. Borrowing to buy gold, vacant bland, Bitcoin tulips, who the <coughs> F knows. Is there a way to adjust rates for different types of borrowing if the idea is to use interest rates to bring down inflation? No, mate. Sorry. Can't do it. Yeah. Interesting idea. And we've had a few people suggest that on the Money Cafe. And you're right. But it'd, it's not. It'd be good to do it, if, yeah. sort of, but nah. Uh, Dylan is, uh, this is a good question. It's about local council rates and its linkage to land value. It is, it, is it not the incentive of a local council to want to see their land value increase indefinitely in order to increase the amount they can gain from rates while keeping... Uh, rates at the same percentage of the land value. Yeah, yeah. As as values go up, so does their income. Yes. Yes. I understand councils are not allowed to increase rates independently, but when land values increase significantly, why would a council decrease their existing rate to match their budget? Is there a body that forces rate decreases? I smell a serious conflict of interest and a reason councils would want to keep housing expensive. Please let me know if you think I'm wrong. No, I don't think he's wrong. It's a really interesting way of thinking of it. Well, of course, councils. I mean, just as just as state governments have a conflict of interest when it comes to gambling reform, mm. um, or or well, they've got a conflict of interest in relation to house prices as well because they get so much stamp money from duty. stamp duty. But the, the the rates thing with councils, of course. Yeah. I mean, th- so they um, have a double incentive 
to not build medium density density housing. The other incentive is that it upsets the their constituents. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's interesting. We're, it's great we're talking a lot about this. I mean, I, I fear we're not getting anywhere, but this is the thing. So, someone's going to have to. Everyone's going to have to give a bit for for this housing crisis to be solved. Everyone's going to have to say. The councils are going to have to say yes. You know, our our revenue model might need to change. The state governments are going to say yes. Our stamp duty is going to change. Federal government is going to have to find a way to get more money to the states to fund the infrastructure that goes around more housing. And the rest of us are going to have to say, it's bad, this housing crisis. We would like our children, grandchildren, nephews, nieces to be able to afford a house. We're going to have to allow more medium density building or whatever it is. This is a problem. Self-interest keeps getting in the way. I had a coffee the other day with a bloke called a young man named Jonathan O'Brien who started a movement in Melbourne called Yimby. Yes, in my backyard. Yes, I've heard of this, yeah. Um, And it's not the first in Australia. The first was in Canberra. There's one in Sydney, there's one in Brisbane, and the first in the world was in San Francisco where they have a serious housing problem. Mm. Um, And there's, there's eight of them on the committee um, they kind of meet in, they were meeting in pubs in the John Curtin Hotel, as it happens. Huh. Uh, and um, they, uh, they actually go rock up to council meetings where there's planning going on. Right. And speak in favour of uh, <laughs> yeah. um, um, development plans. They because, must be popular. Because the point that Jonathan was making is that um, when planning proposals come up at council... Yeah. For development of a of a four to ten story apartment building, um, the only people speaking at the council are those who are against it. Because mm. pe- the only because the only people who bothered who bother to get off their bums to go and do something about things are those who are against. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're out now out there speaking for. Yeah. Which I think is great. Yeah, Good on them. Yeah, absolutely. Libby says, uh, do you think uranium stocks such as ASX-listed Paladin would be good to get some exposure to with the move away from fossil fuels into alternative energy sources? This is a really good question because um, the, a lot of countries are building a lot more nuclear reactors yep. now. Japan's building tons of them, I think. Really? They're back? Yeah, oh, they're back. Okay, right. Uh, but other countries are too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, on the surface, my, my concern would be that uh, there's so much solar and wind being built that at some point uh, your, uh, nuclear might get just overwhelmed yeah. by the amount of um, solar and wind being uh, built so that it gets, you know, it basically gets... Because, yeah, I, I mean, I think that the, the cost of building solar and wind is much lower than nuclear reactors. Yeah. Therefore... Uh, when they bid into the electricity networks and markets, the, the, the solar and wind cost will, will be lower than nuclear. Yeah. And they could get knocked off. Yes. Over time. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know that. I just, that'd be my concern. You've been doing this for much longer than I, Alan, but I've seen my shares of, on the share market at least, nuclear winters and nuclear summers where everyone gets really excited about uranium stocks and then they don't. And yeah. the, the volatility is one thing I think Libby should be aware of there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Max says, love the money cafe. There's probably nothing funny about inflation except they blame the consumer for it and then slug the borrowers so borrowers can't consume as much. But what about the consumers that are not borrowers? They are living the life of Riley and buying this and buying that and mm. pushing inflation to the moon. This has to stop. 
if not at the moon, then at Mars. Could it? Could the answer be GST instead of the RBA raising interest rates twenty five percent? Raise the GST by the same amount? Yeah, yeah. Look, other people, tons of people suggest this, and yes, it would be much better. No doubt about it. Putting the GST up would be much better for controlling inflation than I- increasing interest rates. Yes. But the, but the trouble is uh, that it's a political decision, not a decision by an independent statutory body uh, that has no relationship or at least no uh, direct relationship with politics. And politicians will not do it. They will never do it. Yes. It will never happen. The RBA is a, f- a good fall guy, isn't it? Exactly. So because it's independent. So, you know, that's why monetary policy exists. That's why and, – and the thing is that interest rates affect only borrowers. And, in fact, it benefits those who are savers. Yes. So, uh, you know, the only reason monetary policy works is because of the of, because the net of the two is a bit restrictive on the economy. It dampens the economy in net terms. Yeah. Savers win, borrowers lose – but GST, it would be... Everyone would lose. Everyone would lose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would have an instant, an instant effect. Yes. But it's never going to happen. No. It's a bit like the different interest rates. Uh, Miles says, Alan, I love your nightly news graphs. What caught my eye recently was the petroleum resource rent tax out of the budget. Uh, the estimates for 2023 was 2.8%, while the wine equalisation tax is 1.1%. Now, given that my car tank holds about 70 litres of fuel, that lasts about 10 days, and our household consumes less than half of that in wine, about 35 litres annually, doesn't that seem a little unequal proportionality? Income tax versus company tax also seems extraordinary. Uh, I think he's got ap- apples and oranges going on here. Petroleum resource rent taxes for gas companies. Yes, um, not uh, not petroleum, not not petrol. Not petrol. Yeah, in the car. Yeah. Um, income. Then he says income tax versus company tax also seems an ex- seems an extraordinary. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, uh, Miles, we pay company tax as well. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, it just. <laughs> And, and things are a little more extraordinary with uh, income tax at the moment because so many of us are working. That's right. Sort of a bit of an anomalous year in a way. Ryan says, how important is diversification in the share market? Would investing in a managed portfolio that has exposure to 10 different ETFs such as through the Hub24 platform be worth about be worth the about 0.5 or 0.75% higher fee than, than just investing the fund's 50-50 in Aussie and American ETF over a 15 to 10 to 15 year horizon. I don't think so, but look, I mean, this is not personal advice. What do you reckon? Yeah. Depends what the 10 different ETFs are, doesn't it? I mean, if, 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 if one of them's... Oh, I see. Yeah, sure. If, if one of them's the, you know, um, uranium ETF and uranium's on the nose for 10 years, it's probably going to be a bad result for you. So... Yeah, but you can get, you know, AI ETFs and you can get robot yeah, ETFs. Yeah, so you can... You can, you can specialise. You can use ETFs to specialise in a particular sector. Yes. And if you're doing that, then okay, sure, that's that's an interesting approach. Yeah, I, I think it it's, comes back to whether you want to completely set and forget for 10 to 15 years or whether you want to be a bit more, you know, do a bit more research and jump into certain sectors. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Max says, what can we do to re- reduce our dependence on immigration to keep our economy going? Other countries like South Korea and Nordic countries seem to be successful without the immigration stimulus. Is our real economy, when you exclude immigration and commodity exports, already in recession? Um, well, uh, maybe, probably, yes. Yeah, it's a, I'm not sure why you'd exclude commodity exports, but... I think there's more to immigration than simply keeping the economy going. I mean, it is an important factor in Australia's economic growth, no doubt about it. I mean, if you, I think if you took out immigration, yeah. the economy would be flat for, you know, a long time. Yes. But, um, but I think immigration uh, revitalises a country, yeah. uh, brings in diversity, which is really important, new I think. Skills. New skills. New uh, skills, better food. <laughs> Um, but, but and also, um, uh, and the reason we need immigration at the moment is because there's so many baby boomers retiring. That uh, you know, if it wasn't for immigration, our working uh, workforce would be declining, or yeah. at least the the working working population would yeah. be declining. And, and th- there was a theory going around not that long ago that the big question would be how would Australia fare in this sort of tussle for migrants? That everyone needs migrants at the moment. Everyone's tax base is eroding as baby boomers age. So we probably want to hold on to whatever we can get because the families of the current immigrants will bring their families over time and so you, you, you don't... But, but the problem is, that, and this, was, this is what Peter Dutton's been on about, is that there's been no planning no. for... There's no, so we've got the immigration going on, which is 200,000 a year yeah. on average yeah. over the past 15 years, um, uh, yet there's no real planning for infrastructure and housing. Yeah. So that's the problem. That is the problem. That, and, and Max is right. Uh, I think John, John Keogh writes in our paper had a sort of great point. The, the, the problem is that the corporate sector benefits from immigration because it boosts their profits, but the community sort of pays the price of that because the infrastructure and the housing and policy in general has not been up to scratch. I, in fact, uh, calculated – so uh, over the past 15 years, w- when Dutton was first a minister, 2004, between 2004 and 2006, in, in, immigration went up from 150,000 to 230,000 yeah. in those two years and more or less stayed above 200,000 ever since. Um, uh, the, looking at the ABS data on company profits, yes, company profits since that time have compounded at 8.4% per annum. And the number of billionaires has increased at a compound annual rate of 6%. Yeah. So the rich people and the companies are benefiting, as you point out, from higher immigration. Yeah. But the rest of us trying to get around in the city and drive and find a house are not. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So Max has got a point, and I think this is going to become an increasing issue. This this housing, housing thing is going to go right to the core of everything. We've got time for one more question, so I've... Do the bottom one. Do the the last question? Yep. Right, okay. Where are we? I'll do it. Jason says, is buying a house with a granny flat a good investment? What are the pros and cons? Also, I'm a big fan of Stephen Mayne, and I'd vote for him as Prime Minister. Can you imagine that, Alan? Stephen Mayne, Prime Minister? Yeah, Prime Minister Mayne. What party do you think you would represent? I'm having shivers up and down my (laughs) spine at the thought of it. Oh, how good would it be? He'd be out, permanently outraged at everything, but there'd be some interesting policy decisions, I reckon. The speeches would be great. 
would be great. <laughs> the only thing I, I would wonder was, as Prime Minister, would he still be able to ask questions at AGMs? Uh, well, he'd probably get a hearing. They'd probably have to take, <laughs> exactly. they'd they'd take, take notice of Yeah. Knowing Stephen, he'd still be doing Money Cafe too. Yeah, absolutely. Of course he would. Um, is buying a house with a granny flat a good investment? What are the pros and cons? Uh, uh, it depends if you're using it for a granny or for um, renting it out, yeah, I guess. I think that's right. Uh, uh, there, there would be, and if you're deciding to rent it out, there would be some tax implications to that that you'd need to think about. Um, so it does it, it gives you it gives you flexibility with your house, particularly um, during COVID. Everyone wanted a granny flat because you could set up an office out there or something like that. But uh, yeah, if you're going to rent it out, there will be tax implications to that that you'll need to think through and lifestyle implications. You know, some strangers living out the back of your joint. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess think through how you want to use it, why you want to use it, and what you'll use it for. Yeah, my mum and dad had a, a granny flat. When the grannies moved out mm. into other accommodation, they rented it out. Oh, right. Uh, and they had this succession of fairly appalling people, I think. There's some, <laughs> it, was a bit ra- it was a bit patchy. Yeah, right. I thought you were going to say Alan got to use it as his bachelor pad or... No, no, I was long gone. Oh, right, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I was, <laughs> in fact, I was elsewhere. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was good. they had their ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. With the, with well, the and, and, and the thing is, if you've got the tenant and you're having an up and ups and down, <clears throat> they're right in your backyard. <laughs> you're right. going to be seeing them every single morning and every oh, single it. night. That's so, it. That's oh, no. uh, oh. uh, it. Yeah. Think yeah. about it carefully, Jason. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, to today's episode of the Money Cafe. Now, uh, it'll be next week, it'll be Evan Lucas with Stephen Main. Great. Because Prime I'm Minister a, Main. I'm, hey? Prime Minister Main. Prime Minister Main. <laughs> Stephen Main, PM. Uh, yeah, that's right. I'm having a week off for a minor procedure um, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time. So it'll be Evan Lucas and Stephen Main. Goodness knows what they'll get up to. Um, send your questions in to them at the Money Cafe at eurekareport.com.au. Keep them short and sharp, please. Uh, more likely to get answered. Uh, you'll note... Those who sent in long questions this week did not get <laughs> answered. Sorry about that. Uh, so um, until I see you in two weeks, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. See you later. <laughs>